0: As Latter-day Saint leaders, we face very difficult conversations that put us at risk of saying the wrong thing that can do more harm than good. Many of these conversations relate to LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. Have you had a fellow ward member come out to you about their LGBT identity? Have you had LGBT neighbors and you just don't know what to say to them, so you ignore them instead? Have you wrestled with balancing love for your fellow men while still respecting the doctrines of the restored gospel? In order to help, Leading Saints has put together the LGBT Saints Library with more than 20 presentations featuring individuals who have a unique perspective or expertise around this topic. Three of the most popular sessions are available now to watch. Simply text the word LEAD to 474747 to start watching now or visit LeadingSaints.org slash LGBT. Leading Saints is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead, and we do that through content creation, like this podcast, which we hope you subscribe to. We also have a website at leadingsaints.org with thousands of incredible articles all about leadership in the context of being a Latter-day Saint. We host virtual summits, live events, and also have a weekly newsletter to keep you up to date on all things happening with Leading Saints. Visit leadingsaints.org for more information. I am downtown in a... uh secluded spot at the Salt Palace (laughs) with Ryan Gottfriedson. What's up, Ryan?
1: Yeah. It's just been enjoying a conference. I'm here for the Association for Talent Development Conference, uh, which is usually really big, like 16,000 people, Uh but there's only 3,000 people here this year in the COVID pandemic. And so, yeah, we've kind of found this little nook where I don't think we're going to be bothered because there's really not many people here. You were in town.
0: You reached out to me, told me you were coming to this conference. And I'm like, hey, yeah, let's at least meet up. Oh, and uh, while we're at it, let's uh, record a, a podcast because you always have genius to share with us, Ryan, right?
1: Yeah, I don't know about <laughs> that, but uh, yeah, we'll see what comes out, I guess. You know, we just re we
0: rebroadcast, republished your episode about community. We recorded that years ago. And it's funny, I think some people, even though I say at the beginning of the episode, this is a rebroadcast, like some people don't realize it. And they're like, wow, that recent episode. I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot what I even <laughs> said in that. Like I know, it, it right? must've been good. But anyways, the community aspect, I think has helped a lot of Individuals. And then even after that, we did an episode about your recent book, Success Mindsets, Mm -hmm. and phenomenal book. And it seems like, generally speaking, even outside of the church, I mean, and it's not a church book, it's a business leadership book. I mean, it's being well received, right?
1: Yeah. Fortunate it hit the Wall Street Journal and USA Today bestseller list when it launched back in May of 2020. And then it's, you know, it's still selling and still out there, which is good. And yeah, um, yeah, different organizations will pick it up. And yeah, yeah, it's really for an organizational audience, but really uh, you could apply the idea of mindsets to everybody in any situation because our mindsets are foundational to everything that we do. Yeah, that's true. And
0: just give general background about who you are, where you're from, what you do for people who maybe this is their first exposure to Ryan Goffredson.
1: Yeah. So I grew up in North Ogden, Utah, and graduated with my bachelor's degree at Brigham Young University. Went to Indiana University for my PhD program in Organizational Behavior and Human resources. And I did my dissertation on leadership, and it led me to review the last 70 years of leadership research, which is really cool, learned a lot. And what I learned is that the vast majority of leadership research over the last 70 years is primarily focused on answering one question, what do leaders need to do to be effective? And I think it's a valuable question. It's led to some really good answers, very practical answers, but it never really sat well with me because it feels a little bit short-sighted because I feel like Leadership is less about doing the right things, and it's about being a certain type of person. And so after Indiana University, I took a job at Cal State Fullerton, where I'm still at. I'm an associate professor. I just got tenure, so I can now say associate professor. Oh, nice. Congratulations. Uh, Yeah, which is great. And so really, for the last seven years, my focus in terms of my research, my teaching, and even now my consulting has been how do we tap into the being element of leadership and help leaders to become better leaders as opposed to just Maybe doing the right things, checking the boxes.
0: Yeah. And that's a perfect reflection on our, on our church experience and really any human experience. But, you know, in, as we go to church, and I, I have this inside joke with my wife that we hear certain talks or whatever, and I say, this is a really, this is a doo doo talk, you know, mm-hmm. or I hear other talks. I'm like, oh, I love this. This is a BB talk mm-hmm. where it's all about becoming identity. It's all about grace, you know, these things. And uh, it can, we can sort of default to that position of, This is what we got to do or, you know, and it's tough as I have experienced various, you know, especially state conferences. It seems like it's the case with state conference more than others, because this is like the one opportunity this stake presidency has in six months to really communicate with the stake as a whole. So they default to, hey, we really need to do whatever. right? Yep this research and this perspective is really universal, right?
1: Yeah, I think so. It, yeah. And I think as we get into our conversation, it, it's really, I think the gospel is all about being, mm-hmm. but oftentimes in the church, we do boil it down to the doings, right? I mean, it's been interesting. I think when I served my mission and probably when you served your mission, you had the white handbook, right? Mm-hmm. And this yeah. was a list of doings and not doings. And it was kind of like, you're either obedient or you're not. And, it's, and your level of worth is almost connected to the degree to which you are doing or not doing certain things. And it misses the deeper purpose of your being, yeah. who you are as a person. And are you becoming more like our Savior, Jesus Christ, which I think is the purpose of the gospel. Right. right. At least that's my take on it.
0: <laughs> I would uh, confer that All that's right. definitely and And really, when we focus on the doing, it always goes back to the identity, right? Like we begin to identify ourselves by what we are doing, when in reality, we should start with the identity and realize that once we accept our identity, we, we start to do really good things just naturally, mm-hmm. right? Yep. So you have another book in the works. Uh, this do. is what leadership authors do. They're always working on their next book, right? As, as you should. And so tell us about this book because it's going to be sort of the core of our discussion.
1: Yeah. So it, it's really pushed me and I've, I feel like I've really grown a lot as a person. I stumbled across the concept that's called vertical development. So I've been focusing on mindsets. And as I came across this concept of vertical development, I realized that when you focus on mindsets, you're actually helping people vertically develop. And I was, oh my goodness, this is this is awesome. This is a new way to package what I do. But then I I've been diving into it more deeply. And I feel like it has some really profound implications for personal growth on a variety of levels, emotionally, spiritually, and and maybe even physically. Yeah. Well, I would say even surely physically. So yeah. Vertical development is the topic. And I think it's a topic that even as I, the concept has been around for about 40 years, but it is rare. I play in the leadership space. It's rarely talked about in organizations. It's rarely utilized in organizations. And I think it has very, some very profound implications for it in the church. And that is something that I think we can all value from. I, at least I value from, yeah. and I think others can as well.
0: So let's go back to the the mindset. Just uh, Let's bring the six-year-olds in the room and say, if you were talking to a group of six-year-olds, just quickly, because obviously we did a whole podcasts on that. We'll link to it. People should listen to it. But just the concept of mindsets, what do you mean by that when you talk about mindsets?
1: Yeah. So I think a lot of people think of mindsets as being their attitude towards something, but mm-hmm. our mindsets are actually so much more than that. And maybe I'll answer it in a couple different levels. On a surface level is, Our mindsets are the mental lenses that we wear that shape how we view the world. Because, And this is essential because how we view the world shapes how we think, how we learn, and how we behave, such as how do we make meaning of the church handbook, Mm -hmm. for example? Do we see it as this is like hard and fast? Restrictive. Restrictive. Or do we see this as more of a guide, right? And how we see it is going to change how we think. About the handbook, how we think about how we make decisions about what we do and not do within our words, and so just our, our mindsets shape how we see the world and therefore how we operate within yeah. the world. so that's at one level, but we could even get deeper and connect it back even to neuroscience, that our mindsets really are specific neural connections within our mind that essentially program us from seeing and making meaning of things in certain ways and it's it's the reason why some people can see failure as something to avoid because they believe it says something about them, or they see failure as an awesome opportunity to learn and grow. And how we see failure will shape how much we end up learning and growing throughout our lifetime. Yeah. All right. So now pivot towards this vertical development concepts now that we sort of have that understanding. Yeah. So vertical development is really interesting. The concepts of vertical development came out of developmental psychology. So developmental psychology has been around for 120 years. But for the first 80 of these years, they really only focused on childhood development because it's pretty easy to see that children develop as they age. And they wanted to classify this. So now we have a variety of different frameworks that show us that children develop through different developmental stages as they move from childhood to adulthood. But they didn't really look at adult development because it's harder to see adults develop. Mm. In fact, it's quite difficult to see that. But then about in the 1970s, some researchers came along. They said, I think some people develop, maybe not everybody. And if so, do they develop in certain stages? Like during adulthood. During adulthood. And what they found is that, yes, adults can develop, but not everybody does. So it's interesting because childhood development suggests that development is really a function of age. As you get older, you will develop. But when we become adults, our development no longer becomes a function of age, it then becomes a function of effort. And what research has found is that there's three primary adult development stages and that 64% of all adults don't develop beyond stage one, 35%. Developed to stage two and only 1% developed to stage three.
0: And these different stages, if you're a stage three, that's a more positive thing
1: yeah. than being yep. than so, a stage one. So what vertical development is, what vertical development is, is, and I guess let me qualify this by saying that there's two different forms of development. There's horizontal development and then there's vertical development. So horizontal development is adding new knowledge, skills, and capabilities to what we have. So this is like adding an app onto an iPad. What we're doing with this new app is it's broadening our functionality. We can now do more than what we could do previously. And I think you think about your college or high school classes. This was essentially what we're doing is we're adding new knowledge and skills so that we could do more than what we could do previously. Well, the downside, the limitation of horizontal development is it doesn't necessarily improve how effectively that iPad functions. So vertical development is all about improving that iPad's operating system or our internal operating system. So the the technical definition of vertical development is elevating our ability to make meaning of our world in more cognitively and emotionally sophisticated ways. So when we look at these three different vertical development levels, as we increase in those levels, we are making meaning of our world in more cognitively and emotionally sophisticated ways. So let me bring this to life for you. Yeah, I was just going to ask that. Yep. So how would you say most people respond to constructive criticism? Negatively. Right. They'll get, uh, I think. (laughs) Or or they feel bad about it or. Yeah. They'll get defensive. Like most people, not everybody. Uh Most people get defensive, right? Because they see constructive criticism as an attack. Yeah. Yeah. They are making meaning of constructive criticism as an attack. Is this emotionally, cognitively and emotionally sophisticated? It's justifiable. Yeah. Yeah. When we see it as an attack. But I'm not sure it's cognitively and emotionally sophisticated, right? So that's like level one people, that's how they react to constructive criticism. When we get up to level two, they'll make meaning of it a little bit differently. They might say, well, it depends on who delivers it and how they deliver it, right? That feels a little bit more cognitively and emotionally sophisticated, but it's still not at that top level. So at that top level, people who are the most cognitively and emotionally sophisticated, they say... I like receiving constructive criticism regardless of who delivers it and how they deliver it because it is an opportunity for me to learn and grow. They get to this mental place where they are good with being told that they are bad. And it's just not easy to get there. It takes a lot of cognitive and emotional sophistication to be able to get there. So that hopefully helps you to see what this idea of cognitive and emotional sophistication is and then vertical development is elevating up that ladder of cognitive and emotional sophistication.
0: Gotcha. So and in, in our organizations or even in our personal development, we may be feel like we're, we're adding more apps to our, our personal development, but we need to look at the operating system rather than just, hey, now I can do this thing or now I have this additional skill or, or whatever is that.
1: So maybe let me just touch on each of these different levels just a little bit more. So at each of these different levels... We have an internal operating system that is programmed to accomplish multiple needs or fulfill multiple needs. So, at this bottom level, I call it mind 1.0. We are focused on obtaining three needs our comfort, our safety, and our belonging. So, effectively, we're kind of like a penguin, an emperor penguin. And <laughs> if you like, this is the image that comes to mind. And we want, if you've seen these huddles of penguins, We want to get right to the center of that huddle because that's where we're going to feel the most safe, the most comfortable, and the most like we belong. So everything that we do, we see through this lens of, does this help me feel more safe, more comfortable, and like I belong? That's our internal operating system. And it's a self-protective operating system. We want to protect ourselves being in the middle of that. And it's justifiable, but it's just not very emotionally, cognitively, and emotionally sophisticated. The next level up, is this Mind 2.0. And when we get here, we develop different needs. So Mind 1.0, we have the needs to stand in, I think is one of the ways to say it. In Mind Level 2.0, we have the needs to stand out. We want to be seen. We want to be recognized. We want to advance. We want to win. We want to get ahead. So we don't want to be a penguin that's in the middle of the huddle. We want to be a penguin that's on the outside and seen and recognized Mm. by those in the huddle. So oftentimes, in fact, leaders are mind 2.0. In fact, what r- research on executives has found is 85% of all executives are in mind 2.0. And they want to they want to be kind of in charge of all of these mind 1.0 people. They see these mind 1.0 people as being there to help them accomplish their goals and get ahead.
0: And so you're saying this is more sophisticated, but it seems sort of like a negative that seems very prideful or, you know, inward rather than outward. But it is sort of more sophisticated. Like how, how do you reconcile that?
1: Yeah. So it is a little bit, right? It's still self-focused, but the reason why it's more sophisticated is when we're in Mind 1.0, we are dependent thinkers. You see, what we do is we exchange our power and our independence in order for greater safety, comfort, and belonging that a group can give us. Gotcha. And so we are al- we, we're inclined to align with the, the, the ideas and philosophies of the group. And oh, I'll let the leader tell me what to do just as long as I'm safe, I'm comfortable and I belong. So at mind level 1.0, we are dependent thinkers. When we move into mind level 2.0, we become independent thinkers. We no longer adhere to everything that our group says and we develop more independent beliefs. Like maybe I, I really like these beliefs from the group, but there's other, these other beliefs over here that I just don't fully agree with. And I, I develop my own independent sense of belief.
0: Yeah. And it sounds like, I mean, connecting this to some doctrine, like the concept of agency is starting to, to surface, right? You, mm-hmm. You're suddenly internalized the, the concept of agency and, and you're able, which is, I think, a positive thing, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, for sure. And so this is mind level 1.0 and 2.0. And then as we jump into mind level 3.0, I call it, um, so mind level 2.0 is self-reward mode. It's still a little self-focused. Mind level 3.0 is we don't care about standing in and we don't care about standing out. What we care about is contributing, adding value, and lifting. And so we no longer are self focused. We are now externally focused. We're focused on others and helping them, contributing to them, help lifting them and elevating them. So we, we're no longer, this is no longer about us. It's about others. Yeah. And that's, At this level that's the most cognitively and emotionally sophisticated, because here we're no longer dependent thinkers or independent thinkers. We are interdependent thinkers. We're able to see multiple perspectives. We're able to sit in complexity, right? So oftentimes what happens if, let's just take a polarizing topic like gays in the church, (laughs) for example. So I think this is, you know, and we can even talk about politics, right? Mind 1.0 people they generally go with whatever their group believes, right? And then usually that's one side or the other. Mind 2.0 people is they come up with their own independent beliefs, but it's usually on one side or the other. And they once they come up with their beliefs, they hold pretty rigidly to that. Mind 3.0 people. And let me back up,
0: you know, going to two with people, like typically those individuals may, you know, they they hold on to one belief, but they may step out and, and is maybe Write up a Facebook post that says, "This is where I'm at. Like, I stand in this position, and you know, this is the best. You know, they're sort of leaving that pack and actually making themselves be heard."
1: Yep. There's this element of I've studied this for myself, and here's now where I stand. Mm-hmm. There's right?
0: This testifying component to it, whether yep. it's a you know a social issue or even a doctrinal issue.
1: Yep, for sure. When we get into this mind 3.0, is we they see the complexity of it. Right? That this is a really complex topic, and that there are, there are multiple perspectives here, and they want to understand both perspectives, and what they' end up willing to do is they end up willing to sit in the middle. They sit in the mud with this, and the tension okay. of it.: yeah. yeah, and they're okay sitting in the mud because they, they know that there's not one right answer. Because there's multiple perspectives of this, and and so rarely will you find a mind 3.0 person polarized on any topic, because they understand that there are some pros and cons to any topic, and they're okay with that. They've, that's this mental maturity that they have, and it's it's uncommon. This is why we see we only see one percent of adults get to this place. Yeah.
0: And my mind is going to the Savior, you know, so many examples of the mm-hmm. Savior that obviously he was a, a very contributing person, right? Yeah. And he was sitting in the, this messiness, you know, eating with the sinners or, yeah. you know, really challenging some of the status quo was there. And, and so it's interesting to reflect on the Savior as we go through these.
1: So that, I think to me, this has been the thing that has been maybe one of the most eye-opening elements about this is we talked about earlier, what's the purpose of the gospel? Becoming yeah. more like our savior. Yeah, well, absolutely. how do you become more like your savior? Is it through downloading more apps on the iPad Is or is it through upgrading <laughs> the iPad's operating system? Yeah. Well, it's upgrading the iPad's operating system. But here's the challenge is we're so accustomed to horizontal development. What do our talks and our church lessons boil down to? Is here stuff. is the knowledge and skills that you need to have. And it's not about thinking and operating in any more complex way. So, so
0: unpack that a little bit more. Like, what do you mean? Or what are some hypothetical examples?
1: Yeah. Purely hypothetical, <laughs> right? I'm sure. <laughs> well, well, it's interesting. So one example that comes to mind is we had a gentleman who gave a talk in church several weeks ago, very well-intended and very passionate. You know, it was, it was a good talk. And he, he was speaking to the youth at this point in time. And he says, it's really challenging to be a youth these days. There's a lot of information that's coming out, you know, even about the church. And maybe you get pushed in your testimony. And he went on, let me give you some guidance here. And, and he says, if you have questions about the church, you need to don't go outside of the church to find answers. You need to talk to people who have a testimony of the church. And on the surface, this seems like good advice. Yeah, And very well intentioned again. Very well. This intended. isn't
0: like, I mean, this is just the nuances of leadership and our community, religious yeah. community, right?
1: And when you look at this through the vertical development lens is this is a little bit mine 1.0 coming out. It is, we need safety, we need comfort, we need belonging, you need to stay in, we need to stand in. And I think on a certain le- on that level, it surely makes sense. But- I don't know if it's ever appropriate to tell somebody that if you're seeking, if you have questions and you're seeking answers, you only go to one source that is probably quite biased about it. Right. Right. This is, I mean, you can, we could go to the extreme and say, you know, you would never, we would never want to say to somebody in Germany during World War II, like the only person you should talk to who's a fan of the Aryan race and the Nazi brotherhood.
2: Right? Yeah, right, You not, don't talk to anybody
1: advice. outside of that, right? It's just a, it's an, it is more cognitively and emotionally sophisticated to say, if you have questions, in fact, you're probably going to get a lot of value from exploring a wide variety of philosophies, right? right? And Be, recognizing
0: and, that all of these sources are going to have some level of bias. So keep that in mind as you explore. For right? sure.
1: Right? Because what we're trying to do is by only talking to people inside the churches, we're trying to keep them safe, keep them sheltered. But at the same time, it also, I think, stalls some real potential growth. And yeah. if we really have the truth, as we claim we do, then through their efforts of searching, they'll be led back here. They should yeah. be led back here.
0: Or you know, the the youth grow up and they leave that circle of penguins at some point, and they're in different circles. You know, still striving to uh, maintain a, a religious belief and faith. But if they don't have those skills or that perspective, suddenly they you know have that that cognitive dissonance that kind of blows up on them.
1: Yeah. And so to kind of even extend this out, I mean, when you sit down in a Sunday school lesson, how does the teacher typically approach it? Well, we're covering a set of scriptures or if we're an elders Corn relief society, we're covering a conference talk and how we typically talk about it is what do you need to know about this set of scriptures or what do you need to know about this topic? And rarely do we have conversations that are about becoming more cognitively and emotionally sophisticated about this particular thing. So, for example, I think something that feels really complex to me is the concept of love the sinner, hate the sin. Yeah. To me, I find that really challenging on a conceptual and emotional level. And I feel like it's very difficult to have conversations about church about that particular topic in a way that allows us to explore multiple different perspectives and explore the complexity associated with that. It it usually is almost like, I I feel like oftentimes when I'm going to Sunday school, it's, I'm the teacher, I have the information, it happens to be in this flash drive, and my job is to now just stick this flash drive in you and download the information, and once you have downloaded the information, you're going to be all set. And I think that, and that's just a horizontal development approach. It's the approach that we use in our classes, in high school, in college. Yeah, this is a
0: church thing. It's it's happening all over. It's
1: ever, this is our typical way of development. So the concept of vertical development is really a novel and groundbreaking approach to thinking about how do we, how do we elevate? And because what we've got to do is we've got to make meaning of the world in more cognitively and sophisticated ways. We've got to move so that we see. When people push against ideas that we believe in church and, and here, I mean, this is a huge challenge, I think in the church, because there's actually a tension that exists and the tension is between safety and truth hmm. because sometimes there's certain topics within the church that are the majority of people believe, but they aren't white and black. Mm-hmm. They're very gray things. Let me give you, can I give you another yeah, example? Let's do it. That okay, so help. I'm sitting in Sunday school one week, and this was several years ago, and we're reading a passage from the Old Testament, and it happens to be a dialogue between two individuals. And, you and,
0: mentioned this in your community at the start. Yeah, yeah, so I, I go, ahead, go did. Ahead.
1: Sorry, if this You're is good. repetitive. And I, I just, I read this dialogue, and it's going back between two individuals, and the teacher asked me, well, what does this mean to you? You know, and I was a little caught off guard, and I'm, well i'm on this but i feel uncomfortable actually answering this question but I, because i actually feel like i'm not sure this dialogue actually occurred the way that it's written this is my thoughts and uh-huh. people can disagree with that's fine because i'm like this was a dialogue that occurred how many thousands of years ago and how many translations have we been through is this actually being communicated now in the exact same fashion that it went down so i kind of expressed that and i said but Regardless, I think here's the point that I think is trying to be made here. And maybe I didn't need to qualify my statement the way that I did. But the next five comments that popped up in in our Sunday school class was, we need to take the scriptures literally. They are the word of God. Mm-hmm. And and it was it was really interesting because what is going on in this dynamic is I said something that went against maybe a majority's belief. And how do they perceive that as... Whether they're conscious of it or not, it was an attack to them and now they're defending it, right? So, so, they're trying to protect their safety. I said something that pushed against their beliefs and now they're stepping in to protect it. So, they're protecting their safety. And kind of what I was after was seeking truth, trying to see this as accurately as possible. And, and oftentimes, what goes on is in a, the church dynamic is... There's people that push against the majority because they have certain beliefs that maybe this is misaligned with truth and they're wanting to explore it. And, and if people aren't able to see their, and sometimes they don't do it very well or very tactfully and they don't need, they they (laughs) may not have the tools to be able to do that effectively where they're at. But if we just need your reaction, get defensive. What we're doing is we're trying to protect our safety, and we're not maybe open to the ideas of others. Yeah. And really, I think the whole purpose of and, you know Joseph Smith is the ultimate example of this: is uh, of just being a seeker of truth, seeking any perspective as a way to help yeah. us inform what we're doing. And of course, you know, take it to God with with whatever questions you have. Yeah. Or, but the, it's just simple idea of we need to create space that we need to develop the cognitive and emotional sophistication such that when people say something that we may disagree with, we don't need jerk reaction and shut it down because the consequence of that is a lack of psychological safety. But then I could hear people saying, well, when people push against my beliefs, I don't feel psychologically safe, right? So it's a dynamic that really we cannot actually resolve until we elevate our cognitive and emotional sophistication. And we get to the point where we are okay with the idea of complexity. Yeah, And it's, it's just not easy to get there. So let me give you another
0: example, leadership example, that, you know, sitting in a, in a bishopric or as the bishop, you sort of feel this, the handbook sort of articulates that you sort of feel this heavy responsibility that what goes on in sacrament meeting and what's said over the lectern needs to be doctrinally sound because I call it the, the poison the well concept of what if somebody says, uh, says a false doctrine, it's taught from an official meeting, and then suddenly a group of the congregation. Begins to believe this false doctrine, and so you sort of put this weight on yourself as a bishop. Like, oh no, they're saying so, they're sort of going off the rails here, and they're saying things that is clearly not doctrinal, right? And so, yeah, as a leader, you have this you have this option of standing up and saying, "Brothers and sisters, uh, you know, brother Spendlove, there is uh, bless his heart." Completely wrong what he said, and uh, I need to be very clear that that is false doctrine. Now I don't think it ever happens that blatant, or it'll be more maybe passive aggressive. Of you know, we're going to talk with him outside, or and we're going to next week we're going to have three talks about to clarify what the doctrine is. Right? In reality, it's like I'm going to be I'm going to sit with the comfort of knowing that this person is on a spiritual journey. What he said is is not accurate, but I know that he is. He's seeking that and me standing up and taking away that safety of, you got to watch what you say in this meeting. Then he's more likely to not pursue that journey of truth. And maybe some in the congregation will suddenly think, well, I never want to speak in sacrament because what if I say something that is wrong? And then we, you know, there's this concept even and you see in Sunday school, people, you read the scripture and you ask somebody, what do you think that means? You know, and we get the feeling that there's a right answer of doing that. So we default to PhDs on YouTube, come follow me channel saying, I'm just going to listen to that guy and not try and interpret this for myself. But it is in the interpreting where our operating system connects us with a God in a way that no other YouTube video or anything could happen again. I'm not disparaging YouTube videos. (laughs) I watch them too. But you get what I'm saying. These are sort of the nuanced dynamics we deal with as leaders that keep us in that that 1.0, what are we calling it? The mind 1.0, right? Yep.
1: Yep. You got it.
0: So that I think we've laid out as far as like these different what these different levels are, and there's three of them, right? Yeah,
1: it's really interesting because it then affects and another place we could take this. It then affects how our how leaders in our church, whether we're a stake president, a bishop, or elite Society president, a Primary president, we're going to operate differently depending upon our mind level because we have a different internal operating system. We're literally wired to focus on different things, so. Let me just give you some examples of commonly how this might play out. So, if we're in Mind 1.0, the leader might be really focused on adhering to the handbook. You know, as it said, like they are uber focused of just making sure that everything is safe, comfortable, and like people belong.
0: And one should follow the handbook, but maybe it's like someone has a unique dynamic idea of an activity and you think, well, that's not in the handbook. So therefore, we probably shouldn't do that, even though it says it doesn't say we can't do it, but it's not in the handbook. So let's avoid it.
1: Yeah. And and I think one of the things that you... Another way of saying what you just said is ideas are going to come up and then we oftentimes go to the handbook to explore, is this you know safe according to the church to be able to do and it is and it's okay to fall back to the handbook yeah. and to go by the handbook but then the question is is do we even allow for a conversation about certain things to occur or do we just simply say nope handbook says no but really there is some room for interpretation about that particular topic in yeah. the handbook so so a mind 1.0 leader is really primarily focused on just making sure no problems occur we don't want to create mistakes I don't want to be seen as somebody who causes problems. So I just want to do what's safe. We don't want to push the boundary on anything. And that's just the way that they're wired. Well, mine 2.0 people are wired a little bit differently, right? So they're more, for example, they might be a little bit more about the numbers. How do we win? Mm -hmm. How do we get ahead? What's our, uh, you know, temple recommend percentage rate in our ward? What is our ministering numbers this month? And how how are we getting, are we advancing? Are we getting ahead? Are we moving forward? And oftentimes these leaders are kind of like, well, we're willing to maybe not adhere a hundred percent to the handbook because it actually might help us to get to some of these numbers. You know, how many convert baptisms are we having? And and not that any of that is bad, but it's just the way that we're wired to think. We want to win, we want to advance, we want to get ahead, we want to stand out, right? Mm -hmm. And and oftentimes, and I've seen some of your work here recently, Kurt, where you've talked about as aspiring. Aspiring. I
0: I wrote it down or I wanted to bring it up because it fits into this a lot. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And so that's where when we're in mind 2.0, that's kind of what we're wired to do, to aspire, to advance, to get ahead, move up in the church. Yeah. Because there's a social currency that's around that Mm -hmm. uh, that surely has some value because I mean, and I think we're most of us would like to think we're well intended when we have that, because maybe if we put in a position of responsibility, we have greater opportunities to positively influence those around right. us, right? And so that's kind of how a mind 2.0 leader will operate. A mind 3.0 isn't, is less concerned about adhering hundred percent to the houndbook, is less concerned about driving certain numbers and is really concerned about how do we create an environment that will allow people to learn, grow, engage, and develop. And they're, they're much more focused on creating a culture that allows for growth and development. And they want to create a culture where everybody might, whether you're inside or outside of the church, we want you to feel like you belong, that this is a very inclusive place. And that's the type of thing that really only the Mind 3.0 leaders focus on. And they they're a little bit more willing to see complexity, that things aren't as white and black as as they might be. And they're willing to dive into the muddiness. They're willing to sit down and have conversations with people, such as, you know, if you have a youth in, in your ward that happens to, you know, feel like they have same gender attraction, rather than, oh, you know, the, you know, we're really worried about you. You, you know, we need to do something about this rather than see it as a problem to be fixed. Just ask questions, be curious, learn, like that's what a mind 3.0 leader does is they ask questions. They don't lead out with the answers. And so even within, let's just say word council meeting, a mind 3.0 Bishop is going to be somebody that's more inclined of, I have questions. I want to get your thoughts. Whereas a mind 1.0 or a mind 2.0 leader, they're going to say, I'm the one in control, I'm in charge, and I have the answers, not the questions. Yeah. And, and so they end up operating in a very different way depending yeah. upon this internal wiring. I just had a conversation with
0: a stake president in Spain, and he says – I thought it was a perfect example of this. He, he drove out to I, – I don't know if they have, a, they have a committee or whatever, but a group of, of young single adults – and he he introduced his remarks or the you know the discussion happening, saying, "I'm not here to teach you anything. I'm here to learn from you. So, what are you seeing? Like, what are you feeling? Like, it was a very open discussion, and he he learned a lot that he could then take back and and do something with in his leadership experience.
1: Yeah. Even as you're saying that, we uh, even before we started this interview, uh, we were both talking to a gentleman that we kind of mutually know that we ran into yeah. at this conference. And just while I was talking to him before we met up. He shared in a, an example of uh, something that occurred, and his word. Now, I've seen it go on in my stake as well, where they the bishopric had the youth write them questions that they had, uh-huh. and then at the event, the bishop spent two hours just answering questions, and there wasn't any dialogue back and forth. There wasn't any follow up. It's just here's one question. Let me give you an answer. Here's another question. Here's my answer, and. And he just kind of said, "I just, I just went away from that, just feeling like it was a missed opportunity to connect with the youth." Yeah,
0: right. Rather, creating more of a discussion rather yeah. than, "I'm, I'm here to answer your questions." And here we go. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. And going back to the aspiring, and and we'll link to it as far as the, um, I did a whole episode and a whole newsletter series about this concept of aspiring and how I feel like the, the culture that's come up around aspiring is actually maybe hurting us more than helping us because there's this feeling of like, oh yeah, you're never supposed to aspire. And this is, you know, maybe uh, Mind 1.0 where you're like, I'm in the group. I don't want to stand out or, or give people the impression that I need to lead in a way. So I'm actually going to proactively show that I'm not trying to have influence, that I'm just keeping my head down and not doing anything. But There are these individuals who suffer in silence who, that moment, that prompting comes of, like, you know, I think I could really be a good bishop. (gasps) Like, suddenly it's like, oh, no, 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 that's the devil speaking. You know, I've got to get that out of me. But in reality, you know, this is maybe a more sophisticated mindset that you're experiencing. It doesn't mean that you're hungry for, you know, for power or anything like that. You're just thinking, I want to have an influence here. And so the more we can move to that mindset of, 3.0, 3.0 where we're thinking, you know, I don't even need a title, but I think I can influence in ways and in fact I'm going to proactively influence the ward or the the group I'm in because mm-hmm. that's a higher sophistication. That's who God's created me to be. You know, Ephesians, yeah. I am, you know, we are God's workmanship. He created us not to just be in the pack of penguins but to step out and really make a difference, a positive influence.
1: Yeah, for sure. One of the things that's been really interesting to me as i've studied this because then the question becomes how do we go about vertically developing um, oh yeah so- that's
0: cuz we've sort of laid this out but it's like oh, there's somebody listening thing okay ryan i want to be a mind 3.0 vertical yeah. developed leader so tell me where i get my software or my operating system upgrade right
1: yeah so i, I think to to answer this question at one level and we could we could ho- hopefully we'll be get a chance to go a little bit deeper but When we go back to the definition of vertical development, it's our ability to make meaning of our world in cognitively and emotionally sophisticated ways. Well, the key term in that definition is make meaning. Hmm. So in order for us to elevate, we need to focus on our meaning makers. Well, what are our meaning makers? Our meaning makers are our mindsets, the mental lenses that we wear that shape how we view the world around us. You got to say it together, meaning makers mindsets. Yeah, (laughs) there we go. I like it. It was such a good alliteration. Yeah, Yeah, there you go. And I think, so in terms of the work that I do with organizations and what my book, Success Mindsets is all about is helping people awaken to four different sets of mindsets that they can think about and these are fixed and growth, closed and open, prevention and promotion and inward and outward. So and let me, again,
0: we can go to that episode
1: and yeah. you're breaking it down a lot, but that's good. Yeah, yeah let me give you an example with those. Let's look at inward and outward mindset. So when we have an inward mindset, we see ourselves as more important than others. This causes us to see others more like objects. And so for example, if we're this is I think everybody's been there. So I like this example. If we're we're driving down the road and somebody puts their blinker on and they want to merge into our lane in front of us, I don't know about you, Kurt, but I've been in this position where I haven't let them in. (laughs) Oh sure. Right? I
0: have my weak Uh, moment. Yeah.
1: And this is interesting because what I'm saying to myself in this situation, whether I'm conscious of this or not, is my position in this lane is more important to me than it is to you. And the way that I justify this is I don't say I didn't let that person in. I say I didn't let that car in. Mm. So, when I see them as being less important than me, I have a tendency to objectify them. And this is a very defensible thing, And but it's just not cognitively and emotionally sophisticated. It's much more cognitively and emotionally sophisticated to just even wonder, why are they in a hurry? What's going on in their world mm-hmm. that is leading them to want to get ahead in this situation? And there may be nothing. It may just be that they're a jerk, but <laughs> but we're okay with just sitting in. I'm not sure. And that's okay. So I'm just going to let them in. Their, their, their position in this 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 lane is just as important to them as it is to me. And that's just a more cognitively and emotionally sophisticated way of seeing this. And... So, that's that's kind of a, a surface level example of if we could help people awaken to are they inward-minded or are they outward-minded, then they could get a sense of where they are and where they need to move to become more cognitively and emotionally sophisticated.
0: So, how is this connected to the meaning makers? Like in that scenario, you're, you're bringing meaning to the person in the car, which is humanizing them and, and bringing deeper meaning to it? Is that
2: where the so, meaning yeah, so maker comes?
1: I'm making meaning of the situation if I have this inward mindset That I am more important than them and they're an object. Uh And as opposed to making meaning of they're a person that has just as much right and need to get into this lane as I do.
0: Okay. So this is like a tactic that one could use to make shift them into the right mindset, which hopefully helps them vertically develop.
1: Yeah. And the reason why I chose this mindset to focus in on, because I think it's one of the things that has helped me probably done the most to help me to become more like Jesus Christ than anything else Hmm. in terms of upgrading my internal operating system. So, and I probably have shared this example uh, before, but it's just been really profound to me is I think for most of my adult life, I would see other people. I would make meaning of them as though they are not doing their best. And so in a way this would play out is if I would see a homeless person on the street corner asking for assistance, I would see them as not doing their best. And if I see them as not doing their best, I'm really quick to become critical of them. Mm-hmm. Why in the world are you asking me for my harder money when you're just standing there? Maybe go do something more productive with your life, go get a job, right? That was me.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Is that very savior? Like, <laughs> no, no, no. Right. But it felt justifiable. And it wasn't until I read a great book by Brene Brown called rising strong. And there's this fantastic chapter in there that talks about this. And, in. And she encouraged me reading it to see other people as though they are doing the best. And so the next time I pulled up to a street corner and saw somebody standing there asking for assistance, I cognitively and intentionally said, okay, see them as though they're doing their best. And it led me to ask a question that I had never asked before, which was what in the world has happened in their life that has led them to believe this is the best way to live? Hmm. And immediately upon asking that question, I grew empathetic. And this felt really weird to me (laughs) because I, like my heart literally dropped, like it kind of broke for that person. What had they been through? And I had never seen them in that light before, right? What I was doing in that moment with that inward mindset is I was, I would see them and my mind would immediately say, what's wrong with you? Hmm. But now with this, trying to take on more of this outward mindset, the question wasn't what's wrong with you. It was now, what has happened to you? And I feel that by seeing others in that way, I have become a much more compassionate person. And I feel like I'm more like my savior because I believe that that's how our savior sees us, that he sees us as people. And when we do dumb stuff, he doesn't ask the question, what's wrong with them? He wonders what has happened in them. And in fact, I think he ultimately knows what has happened to us. And it makes complete sense to us why we did what we did. Not that he fully agrees with it, but I get it. Yeah, He did it. And to me, this is where his arms of mercy reach out. This is the power of the atonement is that he is able to say, despite your dumb decision, some of the, the reason why you did this lied outside of your control. And I happen to give of my life so that you don't have to pay the consequence for that.
0: You know, this is what I've thought about this a lot in the context of acceptance to me, that one of the greatest miracles of what makes the, the atonement of Jesus Christ so powerful is this concept that no matter who we are and what we've done, he fully accepts us in the exact place that we are at, right? And it really is tied to how you've unpacked this, that he understands why we've made every decision, why we are weak, and because of that full understanding of who we are, he accepts us fully right where we are. And then the miracle, there's a great quote by Carl Rogers of, I don't have it verbatim, but like, in the moment I realize, the moment that I fully accept myself is when I can begin to change. And with the savior, the moment we realize that he fully accepts us for who we are, then we begin to change. Then that operating system begins to level up.
1: Because what we're actually doing and this is where to me it's so profound and deep is we're when we take that on we're actually healing from our own past, from our own trauma some of which we may not have been in control over and many of us hold shame over yeah. some of those things and when we see him accept us we're starting to heal from that trauma. and so the thing that's unique is when we talk about trauma is it's connected to our stress response system, our nervous system and to me one of the examples of the savior that I think is amazing is, when he's out at sea and it's this stormy sea and he's sleeping, Mm -hmm. he's got a nervous system that is like a rock, right? (laughs) Is he's not stressed out over this? And in in fact, he's kind of, and all of his, you know, the apostles are stressing out and he's essentially like, why are you guys stressing out? You guys are freaking out over something that you don't need to... Yeah. Freak out over that's and, an operating system, and right it, it is part of their their s- central nervous system. Mm-hmm. And his is such to the degree to which something doesn't something small, and I'm not saying the small, even something big, doesn't set him off. Right when he's in church, if he's sitting in our sacrament meetings or in our Sunday school, and somebody says some off the wall comment, he doesn't stand up and this is I don't agree with this. So I, he is able to be mindful. To be present. He doesn't do that. I, I don't imagine him having this knee jerk reaction. Let me set them straight. I imagine him being the one who, after class, goes around and puts his arm over that person and says, Let me better understand where you're coming from. Yeah.
0: Or he may take some time to draw in the dirt, right? <laughs>
1: yeah. Because yeah, he's they, so
0: centered. He's just present and there for that person. Yeah. yeah.
1: And so part of us vertically developing is really getting our central nervous system and our stress response system under control. And the thing about when we've, most of us, I mean, statistically have been through trauma that has inhibited our stress response system that has made us a little bit more reactive and a little less mindful than what we should. And so this is where practices like meditation come in. Meditation has been proven to be one of the best ways to elevate and improve our stress response system so that our window of tolerance isn't really small, that something small doesn't set us off, doesn't trigger us. And we're able to, when when somebody says something that we might disagree with at church, we don't get all up in arms and get defensive. We're able to sit back and what about this might actually be helpful for me to understand that I haven't explored before.
0: Yeah. You know, I have a maybe a perfect example for this or or application of this is when I say that the Sunday school answer, right? An answer comes to mind for you. So let's say you're in a Sunday school class and someone says, the most simple of questions is how do we show faith in Jesus Christ? And what do people generally default to? Pray, read your scriptures and go to church. Right? Some people call it the seminary answer, right? And it's typically around action or checklists or doing something, right? And I. I've written a little bit about this, but in my mind, there's a new Sunday school answer that really ties into this perfectly, is that in order to show faith in Jesus Christ, the first step before you can do anything is you have to get to a place where you feel 100% accepted by the Savior, Jesus Christ. If you don't have that acceptance, any action you do will only be in the effort of trying to earn some type of acceptance or love from the Savior, but it is not until you have that acceptance that you can then move forward and, and actually upgrade your operating yeah. system. It starts with that acceptance and the grace of Jesus Christ before any action or doing can do anything.
1: Yeah. I don't know about you, Kurt. I feel like I've seen a lot of people in the church that really beat themselves up over stuff that they've done.
0: doesn't take long for a bishop to, it's to see that in his office where it's like, wow, yeah, like you are really your worst enemy in a lot of these scenarios. And so. it's
1: almost like when we're there. And I think I've been there. I think most people have been there because it's It's a a certain level of cognitive and emotional sophistication. But we, it's almost like we are keeping score, that it's about tallies, our wins and our losses Mm -hmm. in in a way. And that to me, that's the beauty of just what you're talking about with this idea of acceptance is Christ isn't keeping I don't think he's keeping score Mm -hmm. because he understands us perfectly. I mean, the reality is, and in fact, research backs it up, that like trauma that we experience within the first two months of our life have life-changing effects on us. Even prenatal trauma. Like if our, Hmm. if our mother was, while she was pregnant, did drugs or alcohol or was abused, then that child is, I think it's like 20 times more likely to get addicted to drugs. Right. And we like to think that, you know, our DARE programs in school or what we talk about in church is saying no to drugs, that that's a conscious decision. No, it's something that is actually related to our neural processing and some of which we had no control over. And so when we say for people to repent, and this is the other thing that I love about this concept of vertical development, when we're helping people repent, really what we're doing is to help them changing their hearts. Yeah. We're helping them change how they're making meaning of their world. We're elevating how they make meaning Long of Long
0: before they make change their behavior, right? Yeah. And that's typically where we start. It's yeah. like, all right, well, how's the how's the internet filter doing? You know, like let's focus on the behavior <laughs> rather than the heart. Right? Yeah.
1: And so that's, and so I hope that, I guess it's my hope in that we have this conversation and we're throwing out this new concept yeah. of vertical development. I just kind of, are hope I'm hoping that people can see that vertical development is different than our typical approaches in the church, and that it's more aligned with the purpose of the gospel, which is becoming more and more like our Savior. And if we could start having more conversations about what vertical development is and how we go about vertical, vertically developing, then I think we're in better position to create circumstances within our church that facilitate this. Because I think if people largely are going to ver- vertically develop as members of the church, they kind of have to do it on their own time period. Like they actually do, are doing it outside of church. But what if we can help people do it within church? And I think that would be a pretty profound yeah. experience.
0: Yeah, I love that. This is what I'm learning as we, as we go through that. I'm taking notes as far as like, because I know people listen like, Ryan, just give me a checklist, right? Like just tell me what to do. I want to upgrade my operating system right. And there we are like in that mind 1.0. but nonetheless, like here's some maybe places to start that, that come to mind. One is just like getting to a place of realizing that you are fully accepted by Jesus Christ right now. Not like if down the road, once you finally get that recommend, like right now you're fully accepted. Now if that that may be more difficult for some than others because maybe some have experienced trauma. And so that's where maybe a good therapist comes in, into account you know, of saying, you know, I'm going to go address this. This is I've kept it buried. I know it's there, but and this actually the episode previous to this will talks a lot about therapy and and this concept of trauma and how Christ heals trauma through therapy. Um, that maybe you need to maybe that's a place to start. I'm just going to go see someone. You know, I feel pretty okay. Life is manageable. I'm going to go sit down and see if I can articulate what this pain is, and then. Simple things like mindfulness, meditation. This is something Mm -hmm. I, just last Sunday, I did this where a lot of times even, you know, I'm such a busy body and I probably have some level of ADD. And so I'm always just like, I'm busy doing stuff. I want to, oh, okay, come follow me. I sit down. Let's open another section. Here we go. Like, uh, I'm going to watch this YouTube video or whatever. But last Sunday I told myself, you know, I want to really consecrate my Sabbath to God. And sometimes I'm like, well, today what it means for the Sabbath is I still listen to podcasts, but I listen to spiritual podcasts. So here we (laughs) go, you know? But I'm like, you know, I, I want to do something different. So I woke up early. I'm usually the first person in my in my house awake. And I went down to my kitchen and I just sat at my kitchen table and that's it. And I told myself, I'm just going to sit here for 30 minutes. I'll be screaming inside. I know I will. But yeah. And it wasn't even like, I'm going to meditate for 30 minutes. I'm like, I'm just going to like sit here and invite the Lord into my Sabbath. And I don't know what that means. And I don't know if a vision's going to open up. It didn't. But yeah. nonetheless, I was just there. And like, there was a good level of acceptance of just like, I'm doing nothing. Because I want to connect with God, and it was it was a great experience. Not that again, it was life changing, but it's something I'll probably do again. Yeah. So, any other like places to start as far as upgrading that you haven't talked about already?
1: No, I I would uh, just echo the things that you've said. I maybe let me point people to maybe a few resources or, or books that they might like. So I think Brene Brown's work mm-hmm. around being accepted, feeling accepted by the Savior, over so all of her work is about overcoming shame. Shame is something that we all carry around, and I, in fact, I think when people in the church shut down the ideas of others, I think it's rooted in shame and trauma and things related to that. And and so I've gotten to the point where I used to get a little bit upset with people when they would shut down the ideas of others, and now I'm to the point where oh not what's wrong with you, what happened to you. And in fact, that's kind of my next suggestion is a book that I found incredibly profound is a book, I'm spacing the first author's name. I think it's Bruce Johnson, I could be wrong, and Oprah Winfrey tag team together to write a book called What Happened to You. Mm -hmm. And it's all about the role that trauma plays and how we could go about healing from trauma. And if somebody wants to dive even deeper in trauma and to learn more about therapy and, and other different therapy modalities that can help people repair from trauma and really heal their minds. And that's really the purpose of the gospel and the purpose of vertical development at the end of the day is about healing. The other book is called The Body Keeps the Score. Mm, Uh, And that's been a really profound and deep book. So those are a couple of really good resources. Another one that is around inward and outward mindsets is The Bonds That Make Us Free. It's written by Terry Warner. And uh, that one... Will rock your world. If you thought you uh, were a good person, uh, you read that book. You'll realize that you're not as good of a person as you could. At least that was my experience. <laughs> all in a good way. All in a good right, way. Right. Of course, I could beat myself up, but it it really pushed me. And it's at the central heart of that book is about charity and having the Christ like charity that we that we need. And it's not easy to get there.
0: Yeah, love that. Awesome, man. I got a lot of books to to look up here. Have we covered it all?
1: Yeah, it's pretty good. I I just hope this is a a start of a discussion for people who are listening to this to dive into it, and I even maybe hopefully between me and you, Kurt, is a start of a discussion. And and as I continue working this uh, on this book, and it's I think going to come out next number next summer, maybe we'll have some more thoughts as I continue to think about some of these things and uh, try to make connections between uh, these concepts and and the gospel, the purpose of the gospel, and how we could help other people better live the gospel and yeah. become more like our savior.
0: If anybody wants to connect or even on a professional level and check out what you do, where would you send them?
1: Yeah, my website, com, or probably the next best place would be LinkedIn or I'm on Facebook as well, but I'm just not as active there. Yeah. So
0: just finish us off with just any final encouragement you give to someone who's maybe excited about this concept and uh, wants to see vertical development in their life.
1: Yeah, I think at the end of the day, the thing that I... I keep coming back to is while I apply it in a business arena, I work with business leaders all the time where we see statistics like 65% of employees say, no, 75% of employees say that their leader is the most stressful part of their job. Now, I don't know any leader that wakes up in the morning and says, oh, I really want to lay on the stress for my employees. It just so happens that they're probably in a mind level 1.0 or mind level 2.0 that leads them to engage in behaviors that feel good to them, but Are actually detrimental and so all of this is connected back to really the wiring in our brain and probably some past trauma that they've experienced and they're just sitting at a vertical development level that isn't setting them up for being their most ideal self or their potential best and at the end of the day even when i work with business leaders all of this is about healing healing our mind and healing our hearts and the connection between the two is our central nervous system. So to me, this is a really meaningful and profound way of approaching other people, whether it's in a spiritual setting or in a professional setting. And to me, I think it's—I would like to think it's something that everybody would like to gravitate towards.
0: That concludes this episode of the Leading Saints podcast. We'd love to hear from you about your questions or thoughts or comments. You can either leave a comment on the uh, post related to this episode at leadingsaints.org or go to leadingsaints.org slash contact and send us your perspective or questions. If there's other episodes or topics you'd like to hear on the Leading Saints podcast, go to leadingsaints.org slash contact and share with us the information there. And we would love for you to share this with any individual you think this would apply to, especially maybe individuals in your ward council or other leaders that you may know who would really appreciate the perspectives that we discussed. And remember, text the word LEAD to 474747 in order to access the three free sessions of the LGBT Saints Library.
2: It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When the declaration was made concerning the only true and living Church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness. The loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.